He's not going to talk. Everybody else talks. He's, he's smart. He's not going to say a word. All right, Acts 15, and let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for fulfilling for us the promises of God, eternal life. We trust you, believe in you. Lord, uh, thank you. I, I thank you for Acts 15. I thank you for the truth of your word. And we're asking and praying tonight you would increase our understanding and knowledge of Jesus. We'd, we'd grow in grace and knowledge of you. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So left finger in Acts 15, right finger in the book of Galatians. So if you put a marker in Galatians, uh, throw a bookmark there, we're going to be back and forth tonight. So we come to this place of of having looked at the the travel uh, that the Holy Spirit sent Paul and Barnabas unto the preaching of the gospel and the saving of the Gentiles, making their way through Cyprus, making their way into the to the region of the churches of Galatia. That's on the first trip. So when they come to Iconium, that is in the region of Galatia. So when Paul later on writes the letter back to the churches of Galatia, uh, we're going to see how it is of of the Jewish influence. Again, uh, listen closely on this. By believing Jews, when I use that phrase, Jews that have received their Messiah, but also the influence of unbelieving Jews who presented themselves as false brethren. Now, when your teachings and doctrine mirrors false brethren, you've got a problem with your doctrine. Correct? See, we, we live in an interesting day and age when no other time in, in that I know of where all this information, all these doctrines, anything you wanted to listen to is accessible to you. Now, that's a good thing when you're searching out the truth of God's word. Um, however, if you're not so discerning of what you are searching out, um, you will find that there will be false brethren who who secretly come in to spy out the liberty. That's the way Paul tells the churches of, of Galatia. In Acts 15, verse 1, certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. Now, some really good stuff starts to form in our understanding of the early church. And uh, this is this is important in our understanding, especially now when this comes full circle. And what's the full circle? The oneness of the body of Christ. There have been those who, do, who have been pushing a false unity in the church unto the church who's already one in Christ. Isn't that crazy? That, to me... When you describe to the church who's already one, you got to be one with everybody. And they usually start along the lines of, well, most lately it's come along the lines of color. Not even race, but erroneously called race. There really only is one race, and it's called the human race. Now, in the separating of the nations of that race, tribe, tongue, peoples, nations. Just get that into your biblical understanding. Tribe, tongue, people, nations. When we're around the throne and we're there worshiping the Lamb and we're there in heaven one day, of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, we'll all be there surrounding the throne. They were 
divided and separated in the days of the Tower of Babel to the confounding of the languages and sending out of the nations to the place that God would have them dwell. And yet now what we see, and we see it in the book of Acts, and I want you to see it because what's come full circle now to say that 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 the church has got to adopt something other than the Bible to explain what we look at in the world. And it's actually, once again, another teaching of false brethren that comes in and tries to change. Now, look at that phrase in, in verse 1. They taught the brethren. Now, this is great. The Gentile church is the brethren together with the Jewish church. They're brethren together. Already in the beginning, and you can look at this, as Paul and Barnabas go out and they preach to Jew and Gentile, and as they're saved, the Jews and the Gentiles are not forming two churches in these towns. I joked around a bit this morning because we were referencing Corinthians, and they 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 were the first recognized denominational system in the Bible. For some, there were of Paul, some were of Apollos, some were of Cephas, who is Peter, and some were of Jesus Christ. The first church of Cephas of Corinth, etc. They had divided along those lines. You know what Paul said? He says, when you're doing that, are you not carnal? So we need to understand there is one church in these towns as the gospel goes forth. And they're comprised of Jew, Gentile. And then Paul later on writes the letter and says, in Christ there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. There's no difference between male and female, which is, again, that's, that's boy, that's a division that Satan circles back around to try to divide, divide, divide. And I, I don't know if you've ever been at those churches where they, they separate the men on one side and the women on one side, which is rather interesting. That, that's carryover, carryover from tradition and, and things like that. Now, before I just get rambling on all these thoughts, my whole, my whole thing is to show us, in the beginning, the church is one. They're brethren. And this is also the understanding, John 1.12, to those who believe Jesus Christ, to those, to those who received him, he gave them the right to be called children of God. There was not Gentile children of God, and then Jewish children of God. They were all known as children of God. That makes us brethren. And when we extend that, brethren, uh, and that brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and that forms what we see in the early church. Now, some from Judea came, came to Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas had been sent out. Uh, Barnabas was originally sent there by the apostles to find out what was happening with the church, and he encouraged them in the grace of God. This has been, this has been God's grace upon Antioch from the beginning, when we are in Acts 13, they're there ministering and fasting under the Lord in prayer. The teachers, again, they're all listed in Acts 13. Holy Spirit says, set apart these two for the work I've called them unto. In the beginning, I'll remind you, at Antioch, the believers were from everywhere. I believe a couple of those names are, are men of color coming out of Africa. Now, so are they of color? Well, we all are. And I love doing that when people want to get all worked up over things and, and, and they do that. And I, all I do is hold up a white piece of paper next to my face and say, I am not white. And then a lot of times I'm wearing a black shirt and I hold the black shirt up against them. I said, and you're not black. 
were brown. And it's rather interesting to see everybody's take on that. So in the forming together of the church, and again, holding to this, that's not the division in Acts chapter 15. It's not along the lines of color. But keep in mind, Satan was willing and, and always eager to get a foothold and to divide and separate. Now, we come to this place of seeing the brethren, believers together, the brotherhood of all believers. Don't you love that? When you come into something that you're, you're brought into, and there's a brotherhood, there's a sisterhood. This is our responsibility in the body of Christ to extend that to true brothers. Hey, if you extend to a false brother and you find out later on they're false, have you, have you lost anything? You haven't lost a thing. Because they never were with you, you extended to them, and they never received that. That's not on you. But what if you have a true brother or sister in Christ and you do not extend? Now, we had a visiting family down in Fargo visiting for 12 weeks. Uh, when we prayed for them as they're leaving, uh, they, I, I prayed jokingly that they were under contract to be at Calvary Chapel Fargo. Well, there were two travel nurses who lived in Houston, and they were moved, they moved up to Fargo, and they had a contract with the hospital to serve as nurses for a 12-week time period. So they weren't under contract to be at church, but they, the entire time they were there. Now, they happened to be from the country of the Philippines originally, but they're as American as we are. They, they've lived in, and in fact, Oliver, I'll give you his name, Oliver served in the military and was stationed in Hawaii, and we had another couple visiting from Hawaii, went to a Calvary chapel there, who brought their daughter to play soccer out in Jamestown, and they were there, like their first week or first two weeks they were there, Turns out that Oliver could speak the dialect of of the the woman who was uh, the mom of the soccer player. She she had grown up in the Philippines and he knew her specific tribal dialect. Pretty fun stuff that they're they're you know in fellowship. And I just got a text from Oliver. Just got he just got back to to Houston, and he, he just talked about thank you for your hospitality. And really, it, it comes down to this extending. Love in Christ. This is the brotherhood of all believers. Now, when we live this out and we, we put this forth, that's the backdrop. What's happening in Acts 15 and verse 1 describes that, that these brethren came down and they brought a different teaching. When Paul writes his letter to Timothy, he charges him, he says, that there would be no other doctrine taught. That's his charge. When he's raising up elders, when he's learning to pastor the church in Ephesus. And Timothy is instructed to charge the men that they teach no other doctrine. Well, what shows up in Acts 15 in Antioch, again, brethren, or again, certain men, it's, it's simply at this point a preposition. They, right? Or them. But the translators identify that, that it, the way that this pronoun is used it was known, so when, when this letter is written, when Acts is being written, the whole church knew. You, you understand how this works? It's, it's them. Now, certain men came down and they started to teach something different. And they taught this, unless you are circumcised by, uh, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, our mouths should drop open, right? Concerned like, what? But this is one of the issues that the early church Faced. Find your way to Galatians. You put your right finger in Galatians. Bookmark. You're already there. 
You guys are fast. You're there? All right. So what happens, and look at that in verse 6. Paul writes to the church, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. And then look at this, look at this in verse 7. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And we, as we have said before and now say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For I still pleased men. I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So in what takes place, and again, let's just jump over to, to Galatians 2. We're here now. Now find your way to Galatians 2. Well, pick it up in three. Yet not even Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So what what happens in Antioch is certain men come down and start teaching, and this is the first time that this this was being taught to the Gentiles. You as a Gentile are not saved until you keep the customs of Moses. Now, what this means is that if they begin to keep the law, they would have to keep the entire law because that's the way the law is written. If you look at 2.4, and this occurred, so Galatians 2.4, this occurred because of false brethren. False brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Now, in there, put the word yoke. Right? The idea of a bondage and to be placed under a yoke. Now, remember Jesus' word in the Gospel of Matthew concerning those who are weary and heavy laden? And he describes of himself that they can find rest for their souls and, then, and he would grant them that. And he says, take my yoke upon you. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, as we form this understanding concerning what took place, before you head back, you can keep your finger there, right? I'll I'll put my little bookmark there. We'll be back to Galatians. But on your way back, stop by at 2 Corinthians 11. It's just a few pages back from where we were. 2 Corinthians 11.4. Now, as we take a vacation into 2 Corinthians 11, Stop by the rest area. Is this a good place to stop? Absolutely. So this wasn't unique to the church. And and this is one of the things that we need to understand is as this idea forms concerning the gospel going forth, we talked a lot in Acts 13 about the gospel and grace, saved by grace, justified by grace, having believed, having received. They're They're saved. And we talked a lot about that, of how that went forth. And and you need to understand, out of that came others who would come and would try to poison. Remember those who would poison their, their souls? And then other teachers would come along and start to teach other things. Second Corinthians 11.4 For if he who comes pro- preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, 
or if you received a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. And this is what Paul writes to the church of the Corinthians. And he goes on to describe, because they had formed their ideas in Corinth, I've already described it, around denominational lines. Do you know that the denominationalism has brought in more false teaching? And if you you just understand that. And denominations usually separate based off of doctrine. That's, that's when you are separating. But you know, if you study church history, those that stay with Christ, those that stay with the simplicity, they stay with the word, they stay with the truth, they're the ones who remain in Christ. And then the other groups are usually forming their own group while they're capturing believers into their false gospels. And that's a pretty good study of a simplistic view of what has happened in the church. We're in it in Acts 15. They come to Antioch and certain men begin to teach. Now, I don't believe this is the false brethren that Paul writes about in the churches of Galatia. And here's why I don't believe it. It's because as we get through Acts 15, there's going to be a consensus concerning what is true, what, what the church should be taught. However, those who had taught Judaism should be brought unto Gentiles in order to to mark that they'd be saved. They've already added to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then others who we know better as Judaizers concerning the uh, the letter to the Galatians, they're called false brethren, took those doctrines, and they ran with it. Now, back in Acts 15... Verse 2, it says, Therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them. This, this is the first church strife that we've encountered along the lines of doctrine. If you recall, the first conflict had to do with the distribution on meeting the needs of the, of the widows. And that was actually falling along the lines of cultural background. And, and then that was addressed in Acts chapter 6. Now we're dealing with here is... The, the, the doctrine of Christ. We're dealing with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul and Barnabas had dissension and dispute. And when it says no small dissension, they made a big deal out of this. Now, there's times, right, I make a big deal out of things and people look at me like, why are you, why are you getting so excited about it? Why, why, are you, why is that so extreme for you? Because there are times that where you, you need to understand that when someone's coming in to change something, you have got to be so far uh, above what anybody thinks the, the response is because of holding to the truth. So they dispute with them. And as they're disputing, uh, the church there in Antioch determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles about this question. Are the Gentiles saved or not? That, that's what it is. Paul later on tells the churches of Galatia, that's a false gospel. False brethren brought in, a, brought in another gospel. He warns the church at Corinth because, because they were, were drawing unto certain teachers and they were forming these ideas of following men. And he warned them, hey, if one of these men who you hold in regard comes back and starts saying something else to you, you might well put up with it. He warns the churches of Galatia. He says, if I come back and preach another gospel, 
If anyone preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. If I come back again and I'm preaching something different, let me be accursed. And even if an angel shows up and starts teaching you a different gospel, just don't put up with it. And out of that, they send them up to the church. And I, I love what it says in the three. So being sent on their way by the church, they pass through Phoenicia. So again, understand Antioch is basically 400 miles north of Jerusalem. You can go right out to the coast and you can follow the, the Mediterranean all the way up and you will come to Antioch of Syria. And in that place where they, they begin to travel, they come down the coast, they come through Phoenicia, they're traveling 400 miles by foot. And where are they staying? Well, if you look at that in three, they being sent on their way by the church, they pass through Phoenicia, Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they cause great joy to all the brethren. They're staying with the church they're, as they travel now. And again, you're getting a good sense of what's happening. That, that when believers are traveling, they're staying with one another. They're, they're opening their homes to one another. You, the, the gift of hospitality was, was a very real thing. The, the commands of, you know, entertaining strangers. Book of Hebrews describes some had entertained angels unaware. This is what's taking place. And what's happening night after night on a 21 day by foot trip? They're recounting over and over the works and the glory of God, how God saved the Gentiles. And again, every town, gospel was preached, this group gets saved. Jews are getting saved. Gentiles are getting saved. And then when, when Paul got stoned, all this stuff is being recounted. And this is the church. This is the fellowship. This is what's happening. Now what do we do? We get in a plane or a car. We're there in no time. We don't talk to anybody. We talk to ourselves. We live in our own little bubbles. But the church there, this this was fellowship. And this, this for me, again, I'll just remind you, Acts 2.42, the early church was into and gave themselves to the practice of and the regular keeping of, breaking of bread, prayers. The church prayed together. The fellowship. And then, uh, what was the other one? Apostles' doctrine. That's what they went through. Now, as you frame your ideas and understanding according to what's going on, when they arrive... When they arrive in Jerusalem in verse 4, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. Gives you a good snapshot of what the church is like. There is the church. Again, Paul is instructing Timothy to, to set up elders when he goes later on. He sets Titus to appoint elders. Do you know what Paul was doing when he went back? He came out and, and was stoned almost dead, went a little bit farther, and he went back, and he's encouraging and strengthening the churches. There's elders, there's men placed, again, in the church to to oversee, spiritual oversight for the church. And this is already formed. And as they're there, they reported all the things that God had done with them. You, you catch the phrase, they're accepted, they're received, they're brethren. And again, Paul later on writes to the church at Ephesus and describes one spirit, right? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over us all. He's not extending that to unbelievers. He's extending that to the body of Christ. So when someone says, you need to be one, you need to be one with, with the church, you say, I already am. Just by being in Christ Jesus, I am one with all the believers everywhere in the world. Now, our part is to walk in the scriptures concerning the commands to love one another, receive one another, greet one another, be kindly affectionate to one another, serve one another. See, 
And I need you to see, this is what's happening. And what an exciting time it is. I love these times when the church gets together and we travel. Again, we do it every year down to Omaha. And we get in a car, we drive six to eight hours, depending on how much you stop and coffee and snacks and restroom, whatever you might do, and resting on the way down. But my one of my favorite parts is the actual trip on those. We're going down to Omaha. What do you want the Lord to do? A lot of times we'll have verses we're talking about or we'll be talking about, you know, what are you expecting and, and have this expectation. And whoever I'm traveling with, and I've traveled with different people from the church <coughs> over the years, and it's, this, this, this to me is, is it's a great part of that. But when we arrive, it's when we see the, the, the people, we see the pastors, the elders, and the church from the other churches, just like you, you read that. And we're received. And then there's this fellowship. And then there's this catching up. And okay, what's the Lord doing? And what's going on? And, and, and this begins to happen. And then you listen to the word of God. And then you, you talk about these things. And you share these things. And then, oh, that trip home. For me, that trip home over the years, especially when it was my wife and I and the kids, I, I love to hear what God was, was showing to our children. Or my wife and I would talk, what did the Lord show you? What's the Lord teach you? What, where's, what's, he, what's he doing? And we'd start to recount. And, and many times we'd be before him and after go, the Holy Spirit has given spiritual gifts or the Holy Spirit gave answer. And, and these are the things that that trip back, as much as I read this, that trip back that we do, it's like I love that trip back. My very first one, I went down and went down dry as a bone, came back filled. Went down in silence, came back singing and rejoicing. These are the things that happen. Now, out of that, understand verse 4. The whole church is, is really in the same context, great joy as they were coming up. The church there in Jerusalem, but there was a sect of the Pharisees. So at this time, there's believing Pharisees, which to me is an interesting thought to know that Paul... Paul becomes such a unique example, and, and some would say, oh, it's his conversion. No, God did a work in Paul in a, in a quick fashion. Remember, he'd been kicking against the goads all those years. And what happened for Paul as a Pharisee, we get insight into it. He tells the churches of Galatia, or, uh, Philippians later on, he says, all those things that were gained to me, I count them loss. You know what he's calling gain? His description of his life of the righteousness that he had by the law, which the Pharisees practiced. They came up with a righteousness in an outward show of picking and choosing certain laws that, that they, they would be outwardly righteous. Now, some of those are believers. Paul made a clean break, and that's my point. <clears throat> so not believers don't always make a clean break, do they, from what they came out of? And I like this, and again, from time to time, funny things happen, and we were at a conference in Appleton years ago, and we were, last, last session, we're having communion together, and as, you know, again, the way that communion's happening this year, the ushers are passing, you know, the, the tray of crackers, that's kind of, and then they'll, they'll pass the tray of the, of the cup, but while the tray was, of crackers was being passed across the aisle from us, Two sisters from Calvary Chapel, St. Paul, fumble the tray. And the crackers go all over. Now, what happens is that those two sisters um, are saved out of the Catholic Church 
If you can imagine, no, we dropped Jesus. And they started to panic over what had happened. See, if we're very truthful and honest, many times the things of doctrines that may come from false systems or other gospels or things that have attached. Why I value Acts chapter 15 and, and, and how this really comes out the group of the, of the Pharisees who believed, they said it is necessary to circumcise them according to the command and that they keep the law of Moses. And this is the question. This is not false brethren. This is, these are believers, and this is getting sorted out. And it was kind of fun to joke with the former Catholic, now believers of, oh, you spilled Jesus all over. And, but imagine if that was Jesus. If it was Jesus, you wouldn't let the common people. Oh, and that's now you see the lie of the practices of the Roman Catholic Church with how they handle communion. Is that Jesus never said it was to be handled by the elite or the priesthood. And anyway, I digress too far there. So what takes place after the Pharisees make that statement? The apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. They've heard the salvation, saved by grace through faith. They've, they've heard that from Paul. They've heard the, the argument of the Pharisees who now believe, who did not make a clean break from their Phariseeism. So don't be surprised that when you're in church that there are, will be other people there who will say things to you that is never a part of the doctrine of the church. It's never taught there, but somebody brought it in from wherever they were at and they started to give you, and they sounded authoritative and they started to give you their ideas of things. And this is why when I find out about this, we don't do that here. That's, that's not how this works. You know, and just again, always trying to sharpen one another concerning that. Now, verse seven, when there have been much dispute. Now, my word to you is, let's not be afraid of disputes in church. Some people just, oh no, there's a dispute and something's wrong and I don't want to be involved in a church that disputes over anything and I'm out of here, man. And it's that shallow for some people. But why not be believers who, when there's a dispute, find out what it's about? Talk to the disputing parties if you want to know something. What normally happens in church? Second Israel tour, where only Pastor Chick or myself actually know where we're going on that day. And yet everybody on the bus say, well, do you know where we're going? Well, last time we went here, and then, and then, well, and we're in this part of, of Israel, and I've been here, and they start to reason amongst themselves where they think we're going. And sometimes he doesn't even tell me where we're going because he likes to drop a surprise on me sometimes. And I love surprises because they're, they're, they're good. But you get the point. When there's dispute, don't back away. Don't get uneasy. And what we learn from the church, in the middle of that dispute, and they're hearing it out, we're not dealing with false brethren. We're not dealing with someone coming in and bringing secret teachings. What we're bringing in is a, is a dispute of the understanding of, of what does it really take to be saved. And if you're saved, shouldn't there be some sort of, oh, those Pharisees, what were they good at? They were good at, if you will, they were good at not only for themselves producing an outward show that they could show others that they were believers, but they also would be very good at finding the little specks where others would not be 
doing things the way they thought they'd be. So they had attached to their faith, and maybe they were even revived in the meaning. And you need to understand this. They were probably, for the first time in their lives, revived to the meaning and understanding of circumcision. See, water baptism and circumcision really serve the same understanding of the Spirit teaching. The circumcision and the cutting away of the flesh, the decision that we cannot live after the flesh, we must live after God. Water baptism, we die with Christ, dying to sin, the flesh must be crucified, and, and we must rise with Christ and live the new life. Not too much different, is it? So we shouldn't be surprised to find out that the more modern controversies and disputes in the church that have arisen over water baptism concerning well, when you were saved, I mean, some would teach, some who teach and believe baptismal regeneration, and I kid you not, you can preach the gospel to somebody, they can repent, receive, believe, pray, they can be broken, they can, <coughs> they can come up visibly saved, and that person who believes in baptismal regeneration says, if you don't baptize them, baptize them they are not saved yet. So again, when that's going on, and Pastor Chuck gives testimony, again, think about it, when a bunch of young people start coming to Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, and many are getting saved, and they're water baptizing thousands in, in, at, at the beach there at Corona, and, and as they're doing that, thousands are getting water baptized, and after some of the midweek services, Pastor Chuck describes catching some men in suits and ties, that's how they stuck out, had gotten a group of new believers kind of to the side and just started talking with them and was talking to them, are you, the, are, you, are you part of the true church? And they had this doctrine that every city had one true church. So think of what I'm talking about tonight, where they had one church in these towns. They carried this now that there's only one true church. And if you come and be a part of our church, you will belong to the one true church. And Pastor Chuck listens and is like, you guys got to leave. Pretty diplomatic with that group. Said, We're not gonna we're not gonna do that. And he again and then the next time he he found those who were disputing with those who had been water baptized and said, Tell me how you were baptized. And they happened to be a part of the group who believes in Jesus only water baptism. You know how it is in Matthew eighteen, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But there are those who believe that you baptize into Jesus only. Thus, ignoring part of the scriptures, accentuating another. And you say, what's that matter? I mean, I got people in church now because they haven't been involved with the dispute of Calvinism and Arminianism. They think it doesn't matter anymore. That's just like the rest of the church that says, oh, it doesn't matter if you're Lutheran or Catholic or, or, or Baptist. Or, I mean, it has gotten so watered down that regeneration is not, being saved is not even important anymore. For many people. Now that group, that Pastor Chuck, like a shepherd attacking a wolf, he, he basically, if he had had a staff, he probably would have beat them on their way out. But he drove them away because they taught, they were teaching that the baptism that they just received was not a correct baptism and they were not saved. <laughs> If, if anybody came to me right after baptism and started to say the, that the people were just baptized, right, that just gave testimony of Jesus Christ and that said, you didn't baptize them right and they're not saved, I would, I would, I would probably be like Pastor Chuck and, and drive them all away.
Now, when I say it in this understanding of what we're looking at in Acts 15, and, and we'll, we're, we're basically ready to wrap up. We're going to read this. I'm laying a lot of groundwork for us to be able to read the scriptures and handle it and make a commitment. And one of the most beautiful things I see in Acts 15 is the truthfulness of the work of God going on presently. Okay, and we're going to get to that in just a bit. Secondly, the beginning of the work of God, how he saved the Gentiles from the beginning, that which he began with, he's going to continue with. Okay, And thirdly, the Holy Spirit's involvement. The Holy Spirit's involvement in leading and guiding the church into what they should do. In that much dispute, Peter rose up, and this is the beginning. He declares, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That's the statement. His witness and testimony of those that got saved in Cornelius' house, they were saved through the hearing of the gospel and believing. And then look at 8. So God, who knows the heart, and I, I love that little, that little parenthetical phrase, which for me is everything. Without the parenthetical phrase, you don't have the, the strength and authority. But with the parenthetical phrase, God who knows the heart, acknowledge them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And made no distinction between us and them purifying their hearts by faith. Now, as you're reading this, you might not even catch it. He's describing how God gave them the Holy Spirit, and he's, he's identifying what he saw take place. He says, God gave them the Holy Spirit just like us. He's leading with what God did with them. He's not making the argument, so God did this with us, and, and he did this too there. See, isn't that opposite? But when you acknowledge what God did with them, it's the same as he did with us. He's already putting forth in the experience, God saved them. They heard, they believed. God, God who acknowledges heart gave them the Holy Spirit just as he had done to us and, and making no distinction. Verse 9, key verse. No distinction between us and them purifying their hearts by faith. Now, think of that. The ritual of circumcision was to describe, if you will, under the covenant given unto Abraham, then carried forth into the law, a ceremony, a ritual, in order to give the evidence of we belong to the faith. What has what have many turned water baptism into? A ritual of an outward show to say, this person belongs to the faith. And all the practices of baptism, I mean, almost every crazy idea is practiced. Now, we shouldn't be surprised in the likeness of this when Paul says he purified their hearts by faith. And I love what Peter writes in his letter. He says, there's another antitype that saves you, water baptism. Just baptism. Not the washing of of the filth, but of the answer of a good conscience toward God. Like, aha, 
So baptism doesn't save you, but when you're saved, your first answer to the obedience of Christ is to be water baptized. When you come to that and you realize that like, there is no such thing as baptismal regeneration, you can't save the infants by, by sprinkling them with water. Now, there should be a whole bunch of disputing with the practices of certain denominations, right? There should be a whole bunch of disputing over that, and there was, and there is, and that's why you have, and many will be celebrating, Reformation Sunday from those who broke away from the false teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, interestingly enough, the Lutherans who hold the name of Luther, who's held up for the guy who really said we're going to break away, Lutherans in 2017 agreed to go back to the Catholic Church, thus undoing the dispute of their fathers. Now, enough said on that. Back to the text concerning what God decided, that there was no difference between Jew and Gentile. Purify their hearts by faith. How's your heart purified? By faith in the blood of Jesus. Not faith in the practice of circumcision. Not faith in your practice of water baptism. Not faith in the practice of the church and the sacraments that they keep. You got this? Purified by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God? Don't you love that? Why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor us were able to bear? What did Jesus say? My yoke is easy. My burden's light. What's what's Peter declaring? He says, if you want to put a yoke upon the believers that they need to be circumcised, you're, you're compelling them to keep the whole law. Who could keep the law? And that's his statement. The Pharisees pretended that they kept the law, but inwardly, what did Jesus say to them? He says, inward, you're full of dead man's bones. Outward, you're a whitewashed tomb. You wash the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup, you you tied the mint, you know, the... The, the little spices, but you forget these. And, and this is the phrase, a yoke. Peter says, why would you put a yoke on them? We couldn't do it. We couldn't bear it. Why do you expect that they would be able to bear it? And then 11 is the statement. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Now, what's Peter saying? If you hear it, Peter's saying, they're saved. I was there, Cornelius' house, They heard the word, they believed, God gave them the Holy Spirit, they're saved. He says, and we believe we're saved the same way they are. So not only is he now stating that they're saved, he's also saying, hey, that's the way we're saved. We're saved like that. He's already addressing what's now happening in the church, and and, and he's saying, "If, if you make them get circumcised, then what are we really saying? He's saying, well, we didn't get saved until... We were circumcised. And now here is the problem and why Pastor Chuck would drive away those men who said you need to be baptized in Jesus only or you're not really saved. It's the same thing. You've changed the gospel. What What did Paul say to the churches of Galatia? He says, if anyone comes and preaches another gospel, let him be anathema. He, He goes right there. He says, let him be condemned to go to hell. That's it. That's the strong phrase. Now, when we come out of this, concerning what Peter says, all the multitude kept silent. Peter, again, what did I want you to see? How God did this work of salvation in the beginning. 
This is important. Why we as church hold to the word of God, why we study the history of the book of Acts, and why we believe that through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when one believes and receives, they are saved by grace through faith. Saved by believing in the blood of Jesus Christ, because that's the beginning of the word. And how many have changed that? Now, this stuff is is rather interesting unto me who handles this stuff concerning what happens next. The multitude keeps silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through among the Gentiles. And here is that second part. The continuing work of God along the same lines. Now think of those who had come and, and instead of, if, if they had been rejoicing with the work of God that was happening amongst the hippies and the young people and all the people in Southern California, what was happening in Calvary Costa Mesa, if they were really excited about that, they would have seen it and they would have said, look at, praise God. And there were those who did that. They're like, they give glory to God, say, look what God is doing. He's saving people who nobody was reaching. And this was all taking place. After they had become silent. Okay, so this, again, causes quite, quite a stir of joy amongst the people and quite, quite a testimony of what God's doing. And then they get quiet again. James answered saying, men and brethren, listen to me now. And this is what I want you to see tonight, that through the Holy Spirit working in the gifts of the Spirit in agreement with what God has already done and the present power working in the church, the prophecy of Scripture is brought forth by the Holy Spirit. Great way to solve church disputes. What good has a vote ever done in church that divides the house. So for Calvary Chapel Fargo, with all the decisions that need to be made by the board members in regards to any financial decisions or any of that type of stuff, spending money, not spending money, what are we going to do, where, where, are we, where are we venturing out, whatever we're doing, we have one simple, unwritten, but held to rule. It must be unanimous. There's no such thing as a four to three vote. A three to two vote. Because if it's three to two in our minds, that's not the Lord. If it's not unanimous, if it's not, hey, the Lord's doing this. If one guy says, hey, I just don't have peace of God about going forward with this, we're not doing it. And we're like, yeah, we're going to wait until God shows us what to do. And I tell you what, when I was involved with Calvary Chapel St. Paul and I got to see a couple of their board meetings, and I'm like, there's people who live this way. There's people who say we're not going to do things until we all have the agreement of the Holy Spirit what we're to do. But it also requires that group of men to be praying and then requires the pastor who's coming. He's like, and the things that he wants to do is like, and it's just like, hey, this is what the Holy Spirit's doing. And and I believe God is showing this. And and this is the vision he's given me where we're to, where we're to plant churches in this, in this part of the state. And we're going to go out and do outreaches. And again, this is, Now, in regards to a dispute, as he speaks up, he he says it this way. Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. He's clear. He's not saying God is saving all the Gentiles. That's not a universalism. He says it's clear. God saved out of the Gentiles a people for himself. And as he declares that, a people for his name, And with this, 
the words of the prophets agree, just as, as it is written. Now, he goes to a verse in Amos chapter 9, in the day concerning really prophecy as Amos is prophesying about the judgment coming upon Israel, looking way out into the future of the restoration of Israel, that when Israel's restored, God will rebuild the tabernacle of David. I'm looking forward to that when, when in the kingdom age, the, the tabernacle of David will be built again. But in that prophecy of Amos is a word to the Gentiles. After this, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. And look at this phrase in 17. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does all these things. So by the word of wisdom, right? by the leading guiding of the Holy Spirit, James stands up and says, hey, men and brethren, you've heard what Peter said. The prophets agree. Now, what happens next in verse 18? Right? He says, known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge, and here's the word of wisdom. Therefore, I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. So thus describing the yoke of keeping the law, the yoke of circumcision, that would trouble the Gentiles. He says, but what we should do is write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogue every Sabbath. So think of the Pharisees wanting to put a yoke. Hey, if they're going to follow Yahweh, they at least should be circumcised to show everybody that they belong to God. Sound like a Pharisee working on an outward thing? Hey, we come on, something. Think of how many people want to put the water baptism forth in such a way that, and they start emphasizing the baptism rather than the work of the Spirit to regenerate. And then after a while, they don't need the work of the Spirit to regenerate to water baptize somebody. So I always ask, when I'm water baptizing somebody, I always ask them, who is Jesus to you? And they give witness and testimony. They confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus. And I usually will say, do you believe in your heart he's risen from the dead? That's Romans 10, 9 and 10. What do I do? Again, if they lie to me, that's on them. If they lie in their confession, that's between them and God. <coughs> but my point is, we don't need the water baptism, do we, to identify as believers? But as we identify with Christ as believers who get water baptized, man, does that obedience start to kick in usually in someone's life. And then from time to time, we do water baptisms again, and some, someone invariably says, yeah, I got to. I got to get water baptized again. My, I haven't been. My flesh has been overtaking, and I got to get water baptized. I got to. I got to make that stand and statement all over again. Now we come to this place in that judgment, and how do I know it's the Holy Spirit? Right. So he's saying, if you go out and live your lives as believers, keep yourself from idols, keep yourself from from the blood and the meat, keep yourself from sexual immorality. You don't need circumcision of the separation of the flesh. Your life does it. See, don't you love when Paul writes, put off the old man, put on the new? He says, put all these things off. Put this on. And describes, we don't need an outward show. We need an inward transformation that changes the outward life. And I, I think it was 
was it Finney? I can't remember if it was Finney or, or one, of the, one of the old saints who would go out and preach. And preaching in all those cities and preaching in front of a lot of people, a heckler in the crowd, a lady who, who went to the theater, was always heckling and would, would heckle about, well, you don't go to the theater. You're preaching, you're preaching against the theater. You're preaching that, again, theater, movies, right? It, that's all it was. It was the live version of movies before they could put it on tape. They were just as raunchy then as they can be now. And so she's heckling him, and he says, Ma'am, I want you to know that I am one of those people that I do not pass any rules about I can't go to the theater. He says, In fact, I go to the theater as much as I want to. I go as often as I want to. I go to the theater whenever I want to. I don't want to. I have no desire. See, and and let's think about it with the church, right? One of the biggest challenges now in the church is along the lines of what John wrote in his letters, one of the last things written to the church, which is 1 John 2, 15 and 16. He says, do not love this world. For all that's in the world, right? It's not of the Father. It's of the world. Lust of flesh, lust of eyes, pride of life. Think about it. Is that not where the church is... I mean, this our part now is keeping the world out. You think about all the doctrines, all the things that have come in, everything I'm disputing. Think of almost all the modern disputes are on the lines of changing the doctrine of salvation to align with some practice in the world where you can have the world and Jesus too, as if you could have your cake and eat it. Now, we're really going to leave off here. It pleased the apostles and elders. That's how I know. Verse 22, how I know it was the Holy Spirit. See, when it's not the Holy Spirit, people are still disputing, aren't they? But isn't the church instructed to be of one mind, of one heart, one faith? We're actually to be sober-minded concerning this and say, if if God gave answer, I'm with that. In Jeremiah's day, after All these things that happened, carried away by Babylon. Jeremiah decided to stay in Jerusalem. The leader of the army killed the Babylonian-appointed governor. Gedaliah was killed. The group of people are there, and the the rogue guy had, had taken off, and just a small group of people, and they're like, what do we do? What do we do? And then Jeremiah, you seek God and find out what God wants us to do. Whatever God tells you to do, we will do. Ten days later, he hears from the Lord, and the Lord says, don't go down to Egypt, but stay here in Jerusalem. Very first words out of their mouth, that's not the Lord. See, and the thing with us in church, and I'll say it to you, we need the Holy Spirit. This is the book of Acts. We need the Holy Spirit in the leading and guiding, which again, you have that. And then you have the gifts of spirit and the word of wisdom. And then he knows what to do and he proposes us and all the people there. It pleased the apostles and elders and the whole church. Just leave that off in 22. Right, We'll pick up right in the middle of verse 22. It pleased them. And then they send men out with letters and they take the letters and they now go out and encourage the church. So we'll pick that up there next week. So where does this put us tonight? My encouragement to us, hey, we're a small group of believers. We're, we're, not formed, we're not formed because of some dissension or contention or dispute with anybody else. 
I have met a church like that who formed together out of a Baptist church of all the disgruntleds who didn't like what was going on in the church, and they formed together. They put a guy forward, and he had ties to Calvary Chapel and says, you be the pastor, will become a Calvary Chapel. They're on pastor number three. And I told pastor number two, and I told pastor number three the same thing. I became friends with pastor number one. And I told pastor number two, I said, your church was birthed in dissension. You probably have a lot of people that no matter what you do there, they are not going to like what you do. My word to you is find out who that is and get rid of them. Pastor number three, after pastor number two stumbled in sexual sin, right? turns out in the stumbling of sexual sin, also then revealed the way he was handling I, things with, with the church and, and money. And he had nine checking accounts. Like, how do you have that for a small church? Anyway, I'm not on the board, not responsible. I just say this to you guys because I, I, I'm, I'm kind of taking the safeties up, up here in Grand Forks and I'm just talking freely with you about things. Right? There are so many dissensions and disputes that arise over wrong things and then the really important things many times are not fought for. And I just say this, we have got to determine in our hearts and our minds that we are here because we believe in Jesus Christ. And we have this belief that the word of God is the word of God and that we need the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that we will follow. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, that we will worship God, that this thing will be formed around together, that if anybody else came in and started to teach something else, we would we would not put up with it. And isn't that the challenge to the Corinthian church? Isn't that the challenge to the churches of Galatia? And I'm going to leave us with this final book of Galatians thought, Galatians 3. And I promise to be done. There will be no second sermon tonight. Oh, foolish Galatians. Now, if you're a Galatian, what do you say first? Ouch. Or if you have a wise, obedient ear, you say, yeah, I needed that. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Who Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Pastor Chuck would stand up and he would admonish Calvary Chapel pastors. Yeah, the group that we're a part of. And he would admonish the men. My first Calvary Chapel pastors conference, Pastor Chuck is in Galatians 3. Also at that conference, they offered the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Again, very distinctly. For that group that was there, if you've never received the baptism with the Holy Spirit, the majority of the men there are pastoring Calvary chapels. Now, granted, there's a few others, but this has already grown to that that number. They're the only the pastors of the church are there, and several hundred guys get up to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And everybody's like, "Oh, that's so cool and so wonderful." I'm like, "No, how did they get this far?" in a Calvary chapel with not needing the baptism with the Holy Spirit to do ministry. And you catch 
Now you know why Pastor Chuck would, would teach and admonish. Are you so foolish? And I'm going to answer that. Many today are foolish concerning they've turned it into works. There are other denominations that send out men to start churches and you should see their church planting plan. Now there's a guy in Calvary who, again, Calvary Nexus, if you ever understand the word Nexus out of the Greek language, or Latin, no, it's Latin, basically for the what's next, the idea of this is how we do things, this is the better way to do things. And he wrote that book, and I'm like, this is a bad idea. And you, we go out to conference, and all of a sudden there's there's guys out there now who are doing church planting seminars, guys writing church planting books. And, and the, the old dudes who have already planted all these churches are just looking around and saying, we didn't need a book. <laughs> See, and it's not about being down on a book, is it? It's about what? It's about not needing the Holy Spirit to go out and do the works anymore. And we asked the guy who had written his book and had, had branded. This was this is years ago. This is before marketing and branding became cool in church. Hey, the church looks just like the world. Every ministry has their logo, right? Just like the world. Every venture, and we're branding this. And, and there are men out now, company men, who are Calvary branded, Calvary Chapel brand. And I just simply like, I'll go back and listen to Pastor Chuck from 2003, Galatians 3. I watched it before my eyes. Somehow these guys got in. I kid you not, the first year that the book showed up on our table at at dinner and everybody's getting this copy of this church planting expert, we're looking at each other. All right, who pulled the joke? Who got this book in here and put it on the table? All right, who's, who's making fun of all this? And we're like, they actually want this? So I don't tell you about these things. Remember, safety's off. See, but why do I say that for us? Our commitment to, we, we can't have works of the flesh. In Jesus' name, amen.